with only the young welcome to political musings folks for those of you who are celebrating Yom Kippur which means you're probably not listening to this show live I want to wish you that your name be inscribed in the book of life that your coming year is filled with peace and health and happiness and that if you are fasting, that your fast is easy. Today, on Political Musings, my guest is Scarlett Cornwallis. She is running for Texas House District 115. Welcome to the show, uh, Scarlett. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Amy. Appreciate it. Well, first, let's start off. Tell me a little bit about you and what got you into this race. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, a little bit about me is uh, I am a first-generation immigrant growing up in America. I came here at a very, very young age with my parents and my little sister, and um I had such a great time 
transitioning into the culture here and learning, learning, learning continuously. And um, I was a voracious learner, especially um, just the cultural aspects of it as I was growing up and how it differentiated between what I was seeing in my family and what was outside of my family, right? Because uh, that had such an influence in me and a huge impact on the way I saw the world, that you have this inside your home world and then you have this whole outside world. And I always felt that I was that bridge between the two worlds, translating the generation that was growing out outside of my house to the generation of my parents who were brought up differently. And I sort of see that with myself now and my kids. Um, I have five kids, three girls, two boys, and they're growing up here in Texas as Texans. And I see that in them as well, that there's this whole other culture now that they're encountering. And what I grew up with, and we're always bridging that gap in conversation. And that's what really interested me in wanting to run for um, office because I feel that I can build that bridge between cultures and values that I have grown to value about being an American, being a Texan, and how certain things in this time in Texas is infringing on those values that we hold so special. Uh, so I just couldn't sit by on the sidelines anymore. I felt like I had to participate actively. Uh, I was participating in the uh, Democratic Party. I was a precinct chair. So I was participating politically. I've always voted ever since I could. Uh, but I just felt that it was my time to become more active of a voice for those around me who needed that voice and a seat at the table. So that's why I'm running. Today we're listening to Taylor Swift music. That was your choice. And one of the things I love about doing this show is taking a deep dive into different artists and looking up the the political evolution and, and the political activism of the artists. Mm -hmm. Taylor Swift inspired more than 35,000 new registered voters recently through uh, an Instagram post. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I end every single show reminding folks to register to vote. So, you know, that really sparks my heart. The, the uh, next song that I have here for her is called The Man. So here's Taylor Swift with The Man. I would be complex... I would be cool They'd say I played the field before I found someone to commit to And that would be okay For me to do Every conquest I had made would make me more of a boss to you 
I'd be a fearless leader I'd be an alpha type When everyone believes ya What's that like? I'm so sick of running as fast as I can Wondering if I'd get there quick or if I was a man And I'm so sick of them coming at me again Cause if I was a man Then I'd be the man I'd be the man in the work They wouldn't shake their heads and question how much of this I deserve What I was wearing If I was rude Could all be separated from my good ideas and power moves And they would toast to me Let the players play I'd be just like Leo In Saint-Tropez I'm so sick of running as fast as I can with the man you're listening to political musing my guest today scarlett cornwallis running for texas state house district 115 we're talking about being a first generation asian immigrant and getting involved in politics and in particular for my guest as a woman not just an asian immigrant but as a woman that song from Taylor Swift, she's talking about, you know, imagine my career, what it would be if I was a man. Uh, it's, it's a very different set of rules running when you're a woman, and I can imagine even more so if you're an Asian woman. So let's talk about that. Scarlett, tell me a little bit more. Sure. Uh, this was a great choice of song, by the way, Amy. It's one of my favorites, and... It's, it's one of those songs that women across cultures can relate to, whether 
you are an Asian woman, South Asian, or you grew up here in the States and you are an American or you're a European woman, it just transcends all cultures. It's just such a relatable song. And I say this, not just as a woman running for office, but as a professional as well, because mm -hmm. I am a woman that works in technology. And it's something that I feel passionate about. And I feel passionate about women representing as well in policymaking. We should be there side by side with any other male figures out there. But what this song really highlights is the state of mind of our culture. We are just so male dominated in this space, regardless of industry or culture. It's just, it's a battle that we take on on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm fortunate that my dad has always been very supportive because he was a girl dad, right? So he was just like, if you want to do this, go for it. I highly encourage it. You want a hammer? Go for it. I don't know what you're going to do with it, but I'll buy you that hammer and a set of nails. Not sure what you're going to nail at the house, but <laughs> sure, go ahead and have it. Be handy. So um, I always had this nurturing uh, environment for my dad. So I, I didn't see it until I was out and about in the world when I got my first job. And I saw the difference in, uh, in real life scenario when I graduated from college and I got my first job and I had been working while I was in college, okay? And at that time, I thought, great, I'm getting a great salary for my first job and I was super happy. And three months later, my company hired another individual and this person was a male and graduated six months after I did um, very similar structure in our resume in terms of what our backgrounds were. However, I had the most amount of hands-on working experience. And one day he and I were just on a walk, you know, New employees were always super excited about our first job, so we'd hang out a lot. And he told me that how much salary he was making. And he has never worked while he was in school. He was just studying, didn't do any internship whatsoever, whereas I had the most amount of practical experience, and it boggled my mind. I was furious. I was like, what is this? How is it? that I am getting paid less with more qualifications than what my friend is bringing to the table. That was my first experience uh, encountering this injustice at that time in my head, right? I was like, this is, this is absolutely abhorrent. Like, why, why would we do this? I understand you know, we're both entry level, but even in an entry level role, paying my peer who is a male more than myself was inexcusable. But at that time, you know, when you encounter such a thing and you're just a fresh college graduate, then you kind of make excuses in your head, right? 
they're like, oh, maybe it's this or maybe it's that. Um, I tried to bring it up in a conversation with my manager. Uh, needless to say, didn't really make much progress. So, you know, it's a constant battle. I feel that in this world, women are held to like a different standard. I feel like we're held to a higher standard. It, it just, it just is. The, the second encounter I had with this issue about women being held to a different standard than their male counterpart was when I had my kids. When I went on maternity leave mm-hmm. from work, I, I had prepared everybody that, hey, here's like a list of things that, you know, with detailed instructions, this is what you do and all this stuff. Yet, you know, when I went on maternity leave, there was this whole thing about, like, I'm abandoning my my job, you know? You're made to feel like you're not going to do your job for certain period of time and you're taking advantage of the situation it's crazy the mindset like it it just absolutely is crazy and then i rushed back to work after six weeks this is my first baby and i didn't know that you could actually extend your maternity leave right at that time i i didn't really research it much and um because of my job environment and the stress that was subliminally provided to me that I'm not doing my share of the work, mm-hmm. I rushed back to work at after six weeks of maternity leave. I could have been gone for like 12 weeks. But there's just this added pressure of constantly um, subliminal messaging that gets sent to you like, oh, you're not picking up your slack of the work because you're going to be in maternity leave, which is completely untrue. Um, so the, these are just things that we constantly face. Uh, when my spouse has to take my kids to the doctor's appointment, he doesn't get as much slack for it at work. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I were to do it, it's automatically um, assumed or there's some sort of bias that has been formed over so many years that mm-hmm. as a mom, when you're taking care of your child, Uh, or taking them to a doctor's appointment, the employers will assume that, oh, you're probably not going to be as engaged the rest of the day because your kid is sick. Whereas if it's a male counterpart who does the same thing, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, whenever you're done, you can log back in because there seems to be a lesser expectation of that male counterpart in nurturing their children. Although if I speak to my coworkers, uh, both male and female take equal amount of care of their children. Mm-hmm. But the perception is somehow skewed when it's the female counterpart who's taking care of the child. It's like we're supposed to be this great child rearer and all our time will go to our children if we're not engaged otherwise, right? Similarly, in political field when people hear that I have children um, they're like oh how are you doing this I was like I'm doing this because I have children actually because I'm so passionate about creating an environment where not just my children 
but other children growing up can be nurtured and be given a place where we can foster their development in a manner that is suitable for that child, right? Right now, we're in this time of chaos where politically we're sending messages like, oh, that type of child is not good enough or this other type of child is not good enough, right? That's not the environment we want and that is really why I'm even running because I want to protect not only my children, I want to protect other children as well and give them this environment where they can thrive, right? They should be able to pursue whatever it is that they want to do and that's built into our constitution. You, you have the right to pursue your happiness, right? And we're not protecting that right now. So as a, as, as a female, coming back to this whole topic of how it's an unequal playing field, it still is. To this day, it, it still is. We've made lots of strides, but regardless but we still, of... Uh, we're almost 250, almost two and a half centuries old as a country, and yet, we have never had a president. We got one who got the most votes in 2016, yes. but we have still not had a woman as president of the United States. And it wasn't until uh, 2020 that mm -hmm. we actually got a vice president that was a woman. For, for yeah. uh, Kamala Harris had to fill the shoes of being the first woman. Mm -hmm. The first Asian, the first mm -hmm. black mm -hmm. vice president, you know, and, and her husband's Jewish, so all in one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Covered yeah. the whole gambit, but we still haven't had it at the top. No, we, we still haven't. You can't have... tell me things are, are uh, that we've reached this equality if that's never happened when we're more than half the population. I agree with you. We we just haven't had that threshold. When when I was reading, you know, Hillary Clinton's story about how she wanted to be in NASA and they sent her a letter saying, No, you're a girl <laughs> it just boggled my mind that, you know, we still have this bias carrying forward. We're chipping away at it slowly, but mm -hmm. we still have this bias. Well, that, oh. wonderful things about the Barbie movie that came out is that Barbie mm -hmm. was in in itself that toy was revolutionary. It it was an attack, an affront at the patriarchy, because up until that point, dolls were little babies that. Little girls were taught to take care of because you were going to grow up and be a mother. Mm -hmm. Barbie, not only she not a baby, she's a grown woman. She went to NASA. She went to the. Uh, she became yeah. an astronaut before we actually had women as astronauts. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Two years. Two years before Sally Ride. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a listen to another Taylor Swift mm -hmm. song. This one's called Miss Americana. 
from her Netflix documentary. And in this, she's talking about how her management, because of their misogynist beliefs, stopped her from speaking out about social uh, issues and politics. Mm -hmm. And her whole world, in essence, changed when she found the courage to make that step forward and start talking about it. I think it's so important. It's so important what you're doing and showing that to your children that, yes, no matter your gender, no matter your ethnicity, you can grow up and do what you want and be who you want and still have an impact. Yes, absolutely. Taylor Swift with Miss Americana. You know I adore you, I'm crazier for you than I was at 16, lost in a film scene, waving homecoming queens, marching band playing, I'm lost in the lights, American glory faded before me, now I'm feeling hopeless, ripped up my prom dress, running through rose thorns, I saw the scoreboard and ran for my life.
with Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Political Musings here on Fishbowl. And my guest today is Scarlett Cornwallis. We are listening to the music of Taylor Swift and talking about what it's like to be a first-generation Asian and particular first-generation Asian running for political office. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other aspects of what's going on here in Texas and how that has impacted uh, first-generation immigrants. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, you know, in Texas, most um, Asian families who moved here, they moved here because... They wanted to have their children grow up with certain rights. They wanted to provide the best sets of education that is possibly available in the world, which is what the states really stand for. The The U.S. is the beacon of democracy across the globe. We, we aspire to be that. That's one of the reasons people migrate here from a lot of the Asian countries because of the governmental structures that are out there versus what we enjoy here, right? Um, and now in Texas, all those things that they've come here for to, to have the rights for their daughters or have that great education is being challenged. And challenged would be a really nice way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. That's being uh, very kind. Yes, yes. Uh, it's, 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 it's definitely something that um, I know that families of the Asian background, we really, really appreciate education. Like when, when you move here, your parents have like these blinders on and um, you're like, I want to be an artist. Your parents like, nope, nope, you got to. <laughs> You got to do something that is more professional, stay focused in your lane and do that. And then you can be an artist, you know. <laughs> um, so they really value that. They, they value the fact that, you know, as I was saying, my dad had two daughters, right? As a girl dad, I had, he had so much to offer to me as, as, as his daughter here in the States, right? Um, I had great education. I can ride my bicycles freely. I can rollerblade. You know, I don't have to, he didn't have to worry about me 
uh, going to the movies with my friends and something's going to happen. So there, there's like a plethora of freedom that we enjoy uh, when, when families do move here. And, and Texas is actually kind of becoming the opposite of those, right? Women's rights are being chipped away at. Mm -hmm. uh, there are less rights women have now than we had 10 years ago. My daughters have less rights now than, you know, I had mm -hmm. uh, two years ago, I would even say, you know, um, it and, and public education. Uh, it, I'm very passionate about it because public education is what helps immigrants, fam immigrant families actually get acclimated to the culture here, right? People move here. They have never spoken English before. We have great ESL programs to bring these students up to par to speaking naturalized English. Um, we've had great science programs. We've, we've had all of these since the 50s, right? But then at some point here, it just stopped. Now we're just going backwards. We want to introduce cursive handwriting, as one of the State Board of Education members had on her website, that... My biggest accomplishment was reintroducing cursive handwriting to the Texas curriculum. Mm -hmm. it, so next thing we want to introduce is that we're going to introduce quills to our children to dip in ink and go for it, write in quill. We're not going to have mechanical pencils anymore. The, the difference is that stark at the rate that we're kind of going backwards, right? Well, I, I'm not ex all really concerned about cursive i you know i learned it when i was a kid my kids learned it when they were kids absolutely my my kids are all grown now but we got a better education in texas when i was young and since um since this century uh since the takeover of every statewide office and both houses of the legislature and every other um organizing political body at the state level was taken over by Republicans, they have steadily chipped away um, at, at the curriculum. And this mm -hmm. latest craze of banning books, uh, some East Texas member of the state house wanted to ban over 700 books. What are you scared of? Why? Why is fiction threatening to you? And then why is uh, history threatening? Why? Why are we being told we can't ta teach real history? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, uh, it boggles my mind as much as it does yours because I grew up learning about the American history versus what is being taught in schools now. I, it's, it's like we're tippy-toeing around these harsh realities mm -hmm. of the American culture that actually makes American culture what it is today. Uh, I, I know there's some dark times in our history, but simply not speaking about them is not going to erase it. That's right. It only makes it possible for those things to happen again. And this rise in racism, anti-Semitism, anti-immigration, mm -hmm. uh, just the rise of intolerance 
here and around the country and really around the world and the rise of authoritarianism is quite troubling. And mm-hmm. one whole party, speaking of which, speaking of that other party, political party, mm-hmm. our neighbor to the south. So I live in Denton County. You live in Collin County, correct? I'm in Dallas County now. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're in Dallas County? Yes. Okay, so are, are you in the city of Dallas? I'm in Capel. In Capel. So still to the south of us, yes. the city of Dallas. Mm-hmm. The mayor, Eric Johnson, announced that he was changing parties this weekend. Yes. I don't understand that. The, there was a time when I was younger where I could see somebody going from one party to the other, either mm-hmm. direction. But right now, with the Republican Party, especially here in Texas, embracing authoritarianism, embracing fascism and racism and anti-Semitism and embracing, uh, you know, propaganda and teaching kids that there were positive sides to cipher and insurrection. Mm-hmm. The fact yes. that Ken Paxton got a pass by the Texas Senate for his massive corruption, mm-hmm. not to mention he spoke at the Ellipse on January 6th. He is an insurrectionist. How could you look at everything when people like Nicole Wallace, who was in the Bush administration and was campaign chair along with Steve Schmidt for John McCain in 2008, that both of them have said, oh, hell no, I'm leaving the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. That it just was too much for them. Charlie Sykes, who's been going on and apologizing and making excuses for the Republican Party for years on MSNBC as a as a panelist on various shows, he's going, I don't know, it, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Even he's out. Mm-hmm. Why, at this time, would Eric Johnson, a black man, mayor of Dallas, voted overwhelmingly for, by Democrats, because they thought they were voting for a Democrat, Mm-hmm. Even though it's a nonpartisan race at the level of mayor, why? Why would you choose at this time to become a Republican? Yeah, that's a tough one because, as you've said, it's a it's a nonpartisan election. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, yesterday I tweeted about how. The Crow family has donated to his campaign. So, you know, the Crows have always been uh, GOP mega donors. So it would imply that he's always had connection with the Republican side of of the party, of uh, the Republican well, Party. But it's not a, it's a nonpartisan race. So, you know, it, it's... Well, also, the... the uh, at least one of the crows is, was very actively um, donating to and participating in uh, women's reproductive rights here in Texas. Yeah, that's true. 
And so when I ran definitely as a Democrat for county commissioner in 2006, uh, Mm -hmm. there was a crow that donated to my campaign. Okay. So that's... And also, particularly in a nonpartisan race, you're going to see people with that kind of money donating to both sides. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, that's that's one of the things that I have noticed or observed, right, as as a tie-in. But coming back to it, it is a nonpartisan race. Um, He didn't, I don't know at that time when he was elected if he did declare that he was running as a Democrat or... He was it was known. understood. It's one of those things. In okay. all these partisan, all these nonpartisan races, let's be honest. The local, no, the locals know who's a Democrat and who's a Republican. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, most folks have an inkling of knowing that that person who's running locally, whether for city council or you know school board or whatever uh, local position which side they tend to reside in. But uh, technically, though, because it was a nonpartisan race, he can say he was always a Republican. Like, there's, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, being understood and actually having stated. It, it's like a, it's a muddy elected- waters, I guess. Well, he was a member of the Texas legislature before becoming Dallas mayor, and that is definitely a partisan office, and he was definitely a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this was a new switch to him, and in a way I do get it, because right now, if you want to get elected statewide you know, in, um, in Texas... And I, my guess is he's got plans to move up the ballot to a higher mm-hmm. position. Mm-hmm. I can understand, you know, we've only had, the last time we had a Democrat in statewide office was Ann Richards. Yes. That, you know, more than 30 years ago. Yes. Yep. It's been a long time. The Republicans have been in charge of everything. So if you want to complain about shit in Texas, don't blame the Democrats. We haven't been running the show for quite some time. Yeah, and, and that that's where the voting comes in. Because you mentioned earlier, Amy, that how important it is for people to go out there and vote, right? Uh, we, can ta- we can look at the data at the last election cycle, right? Beto was on the ticket. Um, he was... He was statewide, had immense support, not within just Texas, but across state lines as well. But we had 9 million people who didn't show up to vote. Yeah. We have the big, biggest voting block is non-voters. Yes. And I bet you that of the 9 million people, if just a third of them showed up, we would have gotten that ticket. And I can tell you, Even in a Republican state, we have 3 million Democratic voters that could have flipped that seat of the 9 million. The reality of it is those who come out and vote with their 10% margin, the Republican margin, 
mm-hmm. seem to give the signal that everybody in the state of Texas is Republican. And we have Democrats out there and mm-hmm. we know we can win and we can put the right policies in place. It's yeah. the voting. Our state that I grew up in was much more progressive and was much more likely to have Democrats in charge. That's the state yeah. I grew up in. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're right. In the 80s, I was looking at data of, for Texas, like way back in the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Texas was actually a blue state up until uh, Reagan. Like, it, it, was, it was blue. And right. all the counties up in the... East Texas, like North Texas, the heavy, heavy red mm-hmm. areas that are all countryside, they were all blue. Mm-hmm. And after Reagan, slowly, Reagan administration, I would say, slowly chipping away at those places, we flipped to red. Texas was a blue state since the 50s, like oh, for they- over 50 years. The other thing that that impacted at the same time was the rise of Rush Limbaugh and talk radio. Mm-hmm. And then later uh, Fox in the 90s, Fox mm-hmm. News. Yep. That these things are really what shaped those places where you weren't having day-to-day encounters. Uh, you know, in the more rural areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's take another little music break here. Let's have some more Taylor Swift. This song came out in 2008 and was played at uh, former President Barack Obama's uh, campaign rallies. So here is Taylor Swift with Change. It's what you wanted again
that was Taylor Swift with Change. Uh, you've been listening to Political Musings here on the Fishball Radio Network. And my guest today, Scarlett Cornwallis, running for Texas House District 115. I want to thank you so much for being my guest today. What are some of your final thoughts that you want to leave? And also, very important, how do people learn more about you? Where can they go to donate? And yes, please donate. Because these folks running on down-ballot races, they need your support even more than the ones at the top. Yeah, thank you so much, Amy, for having me on your show today. This was so much fun chatting, and I can chat about this topic, I think, all day long. I think you and I connected for a minute or two yesterday, and I love the fact that how artists and their songs and even artists in general across any format has always been such a crucial part of political movements, you know, since political movements have been around. So this is a very cool thing that you're doing, so I really appreciate it. And so about me, really, uh, I really want you all to consider getting people out to vote. If you're a voter, encourage a friend. Encourage a friend's friend to go out there and vote. 2024 is going to be a crucial year for us to get some people who value what your values are and we can connect across cultures, across spectrums of our freedoms that we enjoy and we want to keep it that way, right? Uh, please go out there and vote. I cannot emphasize on how much it's needed here in Texas that, you know, if you want to have change and we want to have that revolution and preserve what makes Texas great, which is why I want to raise my family in Texas. I'm not leaving Texas, so I want to raise my kids here. I have my parents here. My extended family is here. So I, I want to preserve the values that Texas really represented. It, it's called the Lone Star State because it always stood out and fought for its rights. I feel like we need to do that again. We need to keep fighting for the rights of all Texans here. And voting is the best way for you to do it. Uh, if you want to learn more about me, please visit my website. I'm running for Texas House District 115. It's scarletfortexas.com. And... Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's Scarlet4, the number four, Texas. That's my Twitter handle. And I'm also on Facebook. So please, 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 I cannot insist enough on this whole voting block. And, you know, the last election cycle, we have data that how, even though we had a huge effort of registering new voters, I registered plenty of voters last cycle. I knocked on 10,000 doors myself. So I cannot emphasize the importance of voting and letting your voice be heard. You may think it's not being heard, but it is being heard. And that's how you get a seat at the table 
as Asian, South Asians, as a woman running for office. If you want your voice and if you want a seat at the table and you don't want to be on the menu, you got to vote. Get your family to go out there and vote. If you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And as my guest last week pointed out, uh, if there's not a seat there, bring a folding chair and make your own. So you got to we, make one. We've got to get involved. I want to remind folks, they, thank you, by the way, for being a guest today. I want to remind folks, we have a Toastmasters group here that I'm a part of that meets every Monday night in Louisville at Landmark Grill, but you can also join us via Zoom. It's called Progress Zoom. It's called Progressive Leaders. Uh, Progressive Leaders Toastmasters. We were founded 10 years ago. Today is our anniversary. So come join with us. I'm bringing an Italian cream cake that I'm making myself at home. It's going to be delicious. It's the Luby's recipe. Those of you that don't remember Luby's, wonderful cafeteria. Um, Especially their Italian cream cake is delicious. Come get some cake. Join us at Landmark Grill, 6.30 tonight for social time. The meeting starts at 7. Look for Progressive Leaders Toastmasters on Facebook. We've got a website. You can go to the Toastmasters um, website and get to us there. But you can join us in person or online. We do our meetings hybrid. Once again, that's Progressive Leaders Toastmasters tonight and every Monday night, but tonight especially for our 10-year anniversary at Landmark Grill in Louisville and online over Zoom. Congratulations on the 10-year anniversary. Thank you, and you are welcome to join us. Thank you. We, we're really good at training up candidates and helping them, them become better candidates. That's kind of what we were founded to do, to help get our candidates able to speak publicly without filling their statements with ums and uhs, for example. But really, how to hone your message, and we do special trainings outside of our regular meetings for candidates. We really are focused on making our the folks that support our cause be better leaders and better communicators. Mm-hmm. As I remind everyone, this week and every week, get registered, get informed, get politically active, and if you don't have anything nice to say, come sit next to me. And don't forget, go vote. Now, here's one last Taylor song to end the show. This was her answer, her tribute to Pride Month. You need to calm down.
You need to- 